I'll explain that later. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the hope we have of the resurrection and the implications that it has for our lives here and now. I ask that you open our ears and our hearts this morning to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Waiting, all right, there we go. Life is full of highs and lows and a lot of valleys. And usually, if all of us reflect on our lives, there is an event or a decision that we can think of that changed the trajectory of our life. Perhaps it was a a college choice, a career choice, who you decided to marry, deciding to have children, Maybe it was a decision, a bad decision, like speeding too much and getting a ticket and having to pay for that. But if we all look back, there's usually events or decisions that have caused our life to maybe go in a slightly different direction or sometimes in a major direction. I remember uh, I was living in a small town in Virginia in my early 30s, and I had been working in a Christian ministry called Young Life for four years. And I was still single at the time, and I decided to finish up on my seminary work. I had been doing work through Fuller Theological Seminary through Pasadena, California, but I'd been basically doing satellite kind of courses where they'd have them in Florida or Colorado. And I decided it was time for me to finish my seminary degree, and I ended up applying to Regent College, which is a seminary in Vancouver, Canada. I said, you know what? I'm single. All I have is a dog, my truck, myself. I'm going to drive across the country go out there and just make a big decision. So I did that. I got my dog, my truck, put my kayak and my mountain bike, and I drove across the country. And it was a great trip. And I got there, and I was a couple weeks in, and I was like, you know what, it's great being here, but it's a little lonely. I don't really know that many people, and, you know, the classes are okay. But And then one day something happened. I met a guy named Adrian from Scotland, and he said, hey, look, a bunch of us are going down to the beach to play volleyball. Why don't you come? So I came, and I ended up uh, meeting some great friends. A lot of them happened to be like British, Irish, and Scottish, and they kind of adopted me. And I ended up having this group. There was me and this other guy from North Carolina, and we were like the token Americans that they allowed into their group. And I'm telling you, when they were all together, usually you didn't know what they were saying, because the Irish, especially, they get going, and you're like, you know, we needed an interpreter. But somehow they accepted us, and we ended up studying with them, going on trips with them, skiing with them. It made my time at Regent really amazing. And also, another guy got adopted into the group, a guy named Daniel, who was from Brazil. And I became great friends with Daniel. Well, after seminary, Daniel invited a few of us to go to Brazil with him. And that's where I met my wife, Veronica. And then I met Veronica, and I got married and had a couple kids. And here I am today. So sometimes there's just that one event, getting invited to a volleyball game, where you saw that just changed the trajectory of your life at that moment. How about you? Can you think of a decision or something that changed your life? Maybe for the positive, or maybe even for the negative. Maybe it was an event that was out of your control. For some of us, it was Hurricane Matthew was that event that affected us financially and maybe destroyed some of our house or whatnot. But all of us can think back of events, whether positive or negative, that have seemed to take us in a different course in our lives. 
Well, this morning I want to talk to, a, to you about an event that impacts every single one of us, whether you realize it, whether you believe it or not. And that was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. By this event, we not only have the hope of eternal life, but we have forgiveness of our sins, which leads to fellowship with God and with other people, and it provides us with direction and guidance as we go through the ups and downs in this journey of life. How important was this uh, event, the resurrection? Was this just kind of an afterthought or just kind of a hopeful thing for the apostles? Matter of fact, it was the opposite. It was paramount to the energy that drove the early church. A matter of fact, in all four Gospels, we have an account of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Luke's Gospel today, Luke was a physician. He went to great lengths so that we understood that Jesus was not some ghost that sort of appeared to them when they had too much wine to drink. A matter of fact, uh, let's read just a little bit of the account that Kathy read. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Can you imagine you're sitting there and all of a sudden your friend who you think is dead goes, Peace be with you. And you're, they're like, Whoa! You know, they think he was dead and there he is. He said, Why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus ate broiled fish. Why did he include that? Because I'm sure when he was eating the fish, the disciples were looking really closely. Is that fish just going to fall to the floor? Maybe he really is a ghost. He's just going to kind of go through them. But no, he ate with them. They saw his hands, his feet. It was real. The resurrection was real. In John's uh, letter, his epistle, he writes these things. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified it, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. They have seen it, they have touched it, they have spent time with Christ, the risen Christ, and it changed their whole lives and the trajectory of how they were going to go forward. See, they recognized that Jesus was not just any ordinary person. John, in his gospel, says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God in flesh. He walked among us. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those weren't just empty words. He rose from the dead, and this changed everything. If you have any doubts, read Acts. As you read Acts, every time they gave a sermon to the Jews or whatever audience they were reading, they talked about the, the resurrection and how that was paramount. That was the event that changed everything. You look in Acts 2, Acts, Acts 4, Acts 5, and now let me read you a little excerpt of Acts 10 in one of the sermons. It says this, We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen. By us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed us as judge of the living and the dead. 
All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. They always began with the resurrection. How amazing it was, the miracle that they had spent time with the resurrected Jesus. Apostle Paul writes, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification so that we could be right before God. We have a living sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He died for our sins so we could have access to the Father. And he rose from the dead. So this hope of eternal life is a reality, not just a pipe dream or just a hopeful wish. See, the Greeks had the tendency to kind of spiritualize the resurrection. You know, that Jesus was more just kind of a ghost or some sort of esoteric knowledge. But they were telling their audience, the Jews in the Roman Empire, that it was true. The resurrection was real. He rose in his body. And there was hope because of this. John goes on in his epistle and he expands on this idea of, or the implications of this event of the resurrection. And he uses the metaphor of light. In his uh, gospel, John puts it this way. Jesus Christ is the very source and origin of everything. All things were made through him. In him was life And that life was the light of men. You see, his light, John goes on to say, brings exposure. That's the first thing it does. And when a lot of us think of exposure, we're like, oh, you know, I mean, it's fine when someone else is exposed for the bad things they do, but not me. That's why we like reading mug faces, you know, in the paper, so we can find out about the deviant things our neighbor, neighbor did. But we don't like it when it's the spotlight shined on us. But the spotlight that the Lord shines on us is a good one. Is it exposes us and tells us that we cannot do life on our own. We cannot do life on our own well. You see, we all have the same problem, all of us, of sin, of selfishness, of trying to be in control. I put that chair there as kind of the throne of your life, that metaphor. See, so many of us want to sit on that throne and say, I call the shots. But what the resurrection tells us when we put our trust and belief is that the Lord needs to sit on that throne. He needs to call the shots. He needs to be our guide in life. See, when we recognize that he is Lord, we're convicted of our sins. We understand that we have this need for forgiveness. John writes, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. His light came to expose, to show us that we need a Savior, that we can't do life on our own. The second thing that uh, this light does, that John talks about, it brings us to fellowship with God and others. John writes, but if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, when we understand we are known and loved by God, when that light shines on us and exposes us, he doesn't say, you awful sinner. He says, I love you. I came to redeem you, to reconcile what was lost, to bring you to the Father. When we understand that kind of personal love, and we understand that it's not just some personal force out in the universe changes everything. One of my favorite pastors and theologians is a guy from Seattle who's retired now named Earl Palmer, and he said this, 
We are met by a living God who creates, who speaks for himself, who, is, who has surprised us by knowing our names. When this surprise sinks in, the joyous fellowship begins. Not only does this light help us to know who we are with Christ, help us to know God, it helps us to know each other. The same forgiveness that is extended to us, we extend it to other people. We extend that grace because we have a God who's forgiven us. So we want to forgive others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says there's no greater fellowship than the fellowship of fellowship of Christ, where those gather together in his name. He says the more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray for it. When he was in prison for his faith, for not uh, succumbing to the Nazi regime, he found a deep fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ who loved the Lord, and he would never settle for anything less when you read his writings. When that light is shined upon us, it brings us true fellowship so that we know ourselves, we know God, and we can know each other. The third thing that this light does is it guides us. It brings us direction. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. He's not another option of the smorgasbord of life. Well, yeah, I think I'll choose Jesus. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In John's epistle, he writes, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, advocate is somebody who walks alongside. Not only do we have a guide, but our guide is with us. Jesus said uh, to his uh, apostles, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you another. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he brings that same gift to everyone here who believes so that we never need to do this journey on our own, that he is with us. And when we understand that, then we can see things a lot more clearly C.S. Lewis says, we believe, in the, we believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun, but because we can see everything else by it. When Jesus' light is in our lives, we can see clearly. As David writes, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He guides us. Even when things seem dark around us, Jesus is that light that helps us get through our struggles as we deal with the ups and downs in life. Jesus knows us. He knows where we are. And he does not leave us alone. So as John speaks of this metaphor of life, the first thing is light exposes. It exposes us and tells us that we can't do life on our own, that we need help. We need a savior. When we understand that, we don't fear the light because the same light helps us to see others as Jesus does, to forgive others, to share the good news, the gospel message of everyone's need for a savior and the one true savior in Jesus Christ. And then finally, we have a guide, an advocate who walks with us. So we're not on our own. So what are we going to do with this message? Perhaps this is the most important question to everyone here. 
Are we going to continue to try to sit on the throne of our lives and maybe call God once in a while when we're in trouble so he can put our hand on our shoulder and say, that a boy, just keep doing what you're doing? Are we going to put Jesus on the throne? How do we do that? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. On Greg's Easter sermon, it was very interesting. He said, Jesus is Lord. You know, he could have talked about just the resurrection, kind of left it up there, but he personalized it and said, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Because that's why the resurrection, that's what the resurrection was for. For us to understand that we can't do life on our own, that we have a living Savior, a living sacrifice who died for us and rose again so that we can have hope. But we've got to put Jesus in control on the throne of our life. We need not only confess with our mouth, but in our lives. There's a great uh, um, interview that uh, the singer of U2, Bono, had. This is more recent. He's had a journey with his faith through the years, and it's kind of had his up and downs. But more recently, he's become very uh, um, solid in his faith and understanding of who Christ is. The interview asked him, then what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? Because he knew Bono talked a lot about Jesus. Bono said, I don't think you're let off easily by saying he was a great thinker, a great philosopher. Because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God, said the rock musician and businessman. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. And I find it hard to accept that whole millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just don't believe it. The interview then asked, therefore, it follows that you believe he was divine and rose physically from the dead, and you pray to the risen Jesus? Bono said yes. In his final question, the interview asked, and you believe he made promises which will come true? Yes, I do, said Bono. See, all of us have to come to that point where we recognize that the resurrection is true. It was paramount for the early church, for these early apostles, because they saw it, they touched it, they spent time with him. But for us today, 2,000 years later, the resurrection is the key event in our lives. It gives us hope. It gives us a future. It gives us purpose and guidance for the here and now so that we can understand who we are, where we're going, and have the same love for the world that Christ did by dying on the cross and rising again. At Christmas Eve service, if you all know Joe Hunter, he has a son named Joe Hunter Jr., And Joe Hunter uh, Jr. is very enthusiastic about his faith. And I asked him, uh, uh, he just has this exuberance about him. And I said, Joe, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing fantastic. We're celebrating the Messiah who's come to the world to save us all from our sins. And I was like, okay, I need to have him up on the pulpit. This guy is pumped, just like the early church was, that we have this real hope. See, when we put him on our throne in our lives, that he is Lord, it does change everything. And as we go through this journey, we understand that we have an advocate who's with us, that we don't have to go through this road that's oftentimes dark at times and filled with struggles alone. We have help. 
Perhaps you're saying this morning, you know, I've heard this for years and years and years, but let's leave that to the professionals, to Greg, Kathy, to you, Steve. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm just not sure about everything. You don't have to have all the information. You don't have to know everything. You just have to put your faith and trust in Christ. Even if intellectually, sometimes you struggle with things. He'll provide those answers. It says in the Bible, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that's all it takes. There was a tourist who once approached a man sitting in front of a building in a famous city. Excuse me, he asked one of the locals, but were any great men or women born in this village? The old man thought for a moment and replied, no, only great babies. You see, all of us, we're a work in progress. We don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to have great faith. We just have that have that faith as small as a mustard seed. God can work with that. He can do amazing things in our life. The end of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, right when he was about to go into the gas chamber, he told one of his friends there in the concentration camp, as he said goodbye, this is the end, but for me it is the beginning of life. Besides having that advocate and the forgiveness of sins, we have the real hope that when our time has come, that eternal life is real. And not just a dream or a wish or a hope, but a real hope. So this morning and every Sunday, it's no accident that church is on Sunday because we're celebrating the resurrection every Sunday. We come together. If you look look at the form of our service, the liturgy as we call it, It proclaims the resurrection. So therefore, we are a community of hope. We're not hypocrites. Some people say Christians are hypocrites. We're honest. We understand that we're flawed, that we need a Savior. And therefore, when we look at other people, we understand that they're flawed too, that we all need Jesus on the throne of our life, that we all need this advocate to walk with us. Therefore, we are a graceful community. We have this commonality of understanding that we have a Savior who died and rose again. And we understand that we're not left alone, that we have this advocate. So we have a job to do as this community, to go bring Christ's light into the darkness outside these doors. In the darkness of people who are going through tough times, to not hide our light under a bush, so to speak. So how do we go from here? The late Stephen Covey, in one of his business books, wrote this, his leadership books. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. For the apostles, it was the resurrection. That was the main thing. Through the resurrection, they proclaimed that. They cared about one another. They shared it. An example of how it impacted them is found in Acts 4. And let me end with this. Because this gives a great example of what a community does when they're impacted by the resurrection. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. 
So besides being evangelist and telling people and proclaiming the message of the resurrection, they understood that their access to the Father impacted their social relationships. Inside the church, they cared for one another. Outside the church, they cared for people. They shared. They gave because they were so impacted by this event, the resurrection. My prayer for each of us today, including myself, is that we be so impacted by the resurrection that we wouldn't see people the same way. We would understand that we have an advocate and that we're not alone. We'd understand that we have this need for forgiveness. We can't call the shots very well in our life. We need a savior to sit on our throne, the author of our lives who knows our stories to lead the way. Let us pray. Lord, sometimes words and Bible verses can become cliches where we just say them and don't really think about them. I pray right now, come Holy Spirit, that you would fill our hearts with your love and with your hope and with the power of your resurrection so that we could leave here today not the same way, but we'd leave here with your power and hope to bring it to the world that is so oftentimes filled with darkness and struggling to navigate their way through life. Help us to share the gospel through our words and through our actions. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.